0: Hello and welcome once again to Engagement Express, the podcast series for HR, engagement and communication professionals. Here I am for episode 15 of the show, where I'll be giving you inspiration and tips on how to increase engagement in your organisation. My name's Katie Siche and I'm an internal communications consultant who's worked with many well-known global brands to support their colleague engagement strategies Join me every fortnight to hear more about the things you should be reviewing and doing regularly to increase engagement. Now, I'm very fortunate today to be joined by Anique Simpson. Anique is an award winning internal communications specialist with four years' experience spanning many industries. She holds a BSc in psychology, a journalism postgrad, and a CIPR internal comms postgrad certificate. Her interest areas include chain comms, measurement, evaluation, employee voice, and all things content. She's an award winning pro and has won many awards, including the Moorfields Eye Charity Award for innovation, education, and research. So impressive. An avid writer, Anik has a monthly blog exploring comms through a psychology lens. She spends her free time playing piano, dancing to her favourite songs and hanging out on Twitter and I'm so thrilled to have her with me because her insight is going to be invaluable. Thank you so much to Anique Simpson for joining me today for the Engagement Express podcast.
1: Anique, I'm really excited to have you here. So Mike, thank you for inviting me on. And yeah, I love what you're doing with the podcast and I'm super excited to be a guest.
0: Thank you so much. Now, I know that you have a particular passion about employee voice. And interestingly enough, it's one of the pillars of the Engage for Success report, seminal report from 2008 by David McLeod and Nita Clark. And I'm actually interviewing them for the next podcast. So I'm really looking forward to hearing their take on this. Yeah. So (laughs) give me a rundown of why you're so passionate about employee voice and what employee voice means to you.
1: So employee voice for me is all about Tapping in, I guess, to your employees, getting them really involved in the work that they do and, and the, play, you know, the organization that they work for in various ways. I know there's different ways that it's cut in the industry or depending what industries you look at and regarding employee voice. But, you know, you've got participative management, which <laughs> is all around inviting people to contribute experience and, and their ideas. And then you've yeah. got, you know, what is probably the less positive side of employee voice, which is around people's kind of speaking out against us. So when I say less positive, I mean it It tends to be in unfortunate circumstances as opposed to it not being a positive thing itself. Mm. So for me, those are the types of ways that employee voice can be distinguished. But it's all about involving employees, listening to them, inviting them to contribute ideas, experience, their expertise. And for me, it's important that businesses really do that, and particularly comms experts within businesses really facilitate and champion for employee voice opportunities hmm. is because you businesses invest so much in employees both in terms of time you know salary and learning and development or the, what the yeah. big ones do anyway and you only for those organizations that don't really engage with employee voice only for them to just be there and be cogs in a machine and all of that knowledge and experience and passion is kind of left to the wayside if you're not listening to them if you're not asking them what's going on who knows your business better than the people that help to deliver your strategy help to to offer customers clients patients external stakeholders the services and products that you work for help to develop them who support the teams that do you've got a wealth of knowledge and it really is untapped. And, you know, we know that employee voice is a key part of engagement as well. So I'm a real big advocate because I think employees know businesses and organizations, employees are the, you know, bread and butter of any kind of organization, a private, public sector, third sector, wherever. And so if you're not listening to them, you're missing out on being the best place you can be to employ people, to service your stakeholders. That's
0: fascinating. And you've more or less reiterated exactly what David McLeod said when I interviewed him and Nita about Mm -hmm. that particular pillar, because he mentioned the canary in the mine and the whistleblower and the person who can give you the information. I mean, whistleblower is a negative way of saying, you know, telling the truth or You know, laying it down as it is, and you Mm -hmm. raised some really interesting points there when you said that there you have the information you need, and I don't actually ever understand why there is this reluctance, and it's ongoing. You know, it's persistent to speak to employees Mm -hmm. and to help the organisation by speaking to employees to better understand where improvements need to be made, where products need to be refined, how they can be enhanced. Why do you think yeah. that is?
1: I think one of the reasons, I think, honestly, leadership, and when I say leadership, I am refer to anyone with people management responsibilities. I think I mean, every employee in an organisation could be a leader, but that's a specific group that I'm, I'm sort of talking about. I think there is a resistance to hearing because you don't know what you're going to hear because mm. you don't know what you're going to hear you don't know what employees are going to say and it could be good mm. but it could be things that you know you can't implement it could be stuff that you don't want to implement and I think, so I think there's a real fear or resistance around opening up channels for people to speak up and to speak about things that are on their minds ideas that they have when you are not interested have no means or or don't have the ability to to enact on some of the better suggestions that you might get for example yeah I think there's that resistance. I think time is always used as an issue or a lack of priority. I would probably reframe it as lack of a prioritization of employee voice. You've got organizations that are moving you know especially during these times during this time of the sort of the pandemic and the aftermath as it were of the pandemic, you've got businesses moving at pace trying to push things forward or working certainly on you know focusing on how they're going to get people back into the office for example or how they're going to maintain and sustain the ways of working that they've had over lockdown to ensure that they can still deliver what they had planned and I think that doesn't necessarily lend itself easily to taking the time out to listen to employees or to create the space to be able to do that to listen to employees or or create opportunities to listen to employees Mm. I think also you know there's also that kind of cliched internal comms HR battleground of engagement yeah where does engagement sit where does the listening sit Obviously, every every team can run a survey most businesses any team can run a survey as one listening tool but with having a program of listening activity throughout the year that isn't necessarily tied to a campaign or a chain organizational change Well, where does does that sit and where it sits and determines the extent to which investment can be made in, in delivering that with internal comms, you know, certain, in, every business is different, but you know, internal comms is a strategy, different from people's strategy, although there are obviously synergies. And so, you know, if listening sits with internal comms, well, the opportunities made to do so may run differently to what it is with HR. So I think there's that issue there as to where that listening activity, regular program, business as usual program almost, where does that sit and how is it prioritized in the place that it sits as well? Um, mm. But there is a time element to it and there is a you know thinking and strategizing around it then you've got to find the volunteers there are you know there are a number of steps but ultimately work without outputs or efforts without evidence is foolhardy and listening is the evidence or provides the evidence that allows you to do work that is more likely to hit the mark whether it is a comms campaign or a hr policy mm. or a um, product launch with your consumers, like you've got to kind of work. You know, the research is a key part of it. Our brothers and sisters in marketing, you know, get that, exactly. and are given the space to do that. And I think, you know, in some organisations, certainly where organisations that I've worked in, I can think of a few of them where you where internal comms haven't been given the space to do that. Hmm. So if you've got a leadership team that are apprehensive or don't see the point in listening or only want to listen to employees on certain things and not others internal comms as a function you know has that battle and sometimes when you're looking at the battles that you have with your (laughs) c-suite listening to employees seems like one you can probably put to the side because it doesn't necessarily immediately lead to outputs or outcomes things that you're going to be measured on it's a stepping stone to that and so when you're faced with do i just deliver this as i've planned it or as i'm being asked to Or do I take a step back and try to gather the evidence to show why a certain approach will work? You know, if your back's against the wall, you're going to choose column A, the Mm. the former, which then means listening then falls to the wayside again. So I think there's a number of things, as I highlighted, that could lead to organisations that struggle with or don't get on board with, with, don't seem to get on with employee listening activity.
0: Yeah. And I recognize that disease of execution, which is <laughs> so I love that. aligned. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? It's a terrible condition in internal communications that we suffer from, you know, tactics, 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 you know, constantly pumping out. Information, be it newsletter format, email format, intranet article format, web page format, you know, there's this real pressure to get stuff done. And that's where you are perceived to add value. And indeed, what you're measured on, how well an email landed, or how well, how many people visited a particular intranet page, how many people opened an email, that kind of thing. So you're right in saying the strategic. Elements of our work are often put to the wayside, and that's a real shame, you know, from my point of view.
1: Absolutely. You know, if you're in a business where the culture is such that it's very top down and you know, led or even you know, outside in, so it's very much led with external conditions, not necessarily what's going on within your business. I so, said, I mean, prioritizing external over what's happening within your house, where is the impetus, where is the drive for internal communicators to? Prioritize employee listening mm. and, and, I, and I say that not because as individuals they see the the benefit of it I mean if you've got a work stack that's crazy or a work stack that's really hectic, and you know that you're an organization that kind of wants to see you be doing things, the drive to bring listening into that as a discrete so I mean, discrete i mean a very specific type of comms activity shrinks and it becomes something that you do on the side exactly. Exactly. Totally that you do, agree. Something to do inside. I mean, I just want to, if I can, bring in a, some research too, because I'm all about the yes, data. <laughs> yeah, i all data I like <laughs> it myself. Please
0: feel free. Oh, thank,
1: fantastic! A meeting of minds. Then brilliant. <laughs> so, Dr. Kevin Ruck, who yes, I'm is aware a of, researcher. It. <laughs> Researcher internal comms and I think a couple of other researchers did a report called Who's Listening. And I urge, you know, readers, if you're interested in employee voice and listening, to have a look at the report. It's available on the PR Academy website. I did promise you, I don't get any any kind of payback for <laughs> any kind of cashback for that. <laughs> but it's, it's it's really a good report. And um, some of the key facts, I'll just read a few of them out here that, that speak to the very specific issue around why internal communicators aren't, what internal communicators' views are on the importance of listening and I guess how that translates in the work that they do. So part of that, they interviewed a number of internal comms people. And so 78% of the respondents agreed that listening to stakeholders was important. And this is a report that came out in 2019. 59% of internal, profession, internal comms professionals that responded spent no more than a third of their time listening to key stakeholders. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it speaks Not for, for itself in terms of... That balance and you know barriers that they elicited. So they did a focus on focus groups to to pull out, to tease out some of the themes that that were coming from the quantitative data. And so barriers to listening identified were you know the ways that we define leadership, who is a leader, and if you know the C-suite are hell bent on only hearing from directors. And it only happened to be a certain level. It's a very hierarchical structure within your business. Mm. Then actually the true influential leaders, which tends to be uh, those who are maybe the first or second tier up in management in terms of they manage a team, a broad team of doers directly, deliverers um, directly. So frontline or operational, depending on where you work. That then creates this kind of vacuum where you're only hearing from a certain bunch of people who, you know, it's like herding cats sometimes working Mm. with it can be like herding cats working with them. and and so if they are only defined as a leader, then what happens to the other leaders in the business? And what happens to the listening that they do on an ongoing basis because they are working with teams that deliver the work, that make the widgets or whatever it is. There's also you know under investment in listening skills development. So, you know, we listening is a skill, you know, it's an active process even if it's passive it's it's a conscious process I should say and so if you don't have the skills to be able to do that and do that well and listening you know listening to do different things whether it's to understand or to respond to because there's time and place for that as well I think that then hinders the ability or the desire to run an employee listening program we also touched on cultural barriers as well, which, you know, speaks for itself in terms of who are you listening to within the business? You know, where are you getting your sources of it? Where are the, you know, are you tending to go to the same types of people, the same regions? Are there cultural differences even within one culture? So, for example, you know, your UK offices. How does that impact on who gets listened to and whether you listen and also who gets listened to? And then the fourth one is quite a simple one. It's underdeveloped processes and structures to support listening. So, you don't have the ability to do that. you don't have the technology, particularly if we're thinking about during the pandemic where things have been moved remotely and technology is you know has an even bigger place in the world of work. If you don't have the ability to do that, if you don't have within your internal comms calendar or your business planning the sessions to listen to employees, whether that's face to face or through mm-hmm. suggestion boxes, you know, there's a number of things you know the number of ways in which you can listen to employees if you don't have that in place and you don't have, you know, the decision makers backing those systems, investing in those systems and processes, then, you know, internal comms are on a hiding foot, you know, which really are on a hiding to nothing. I mean, there's still things that we can do. There's guerrilla tactics, as it were, but nothing on the big scale that's really needed to ensure that that senior leaders or management of all levels have their fingers on the pulse of what's actually happening in the business.
0: I'm going to challenge you, though, that... Aspect Mm -hmm. you just mentioned just now around guerrilla tactics, because I'm all about guerrilla tactics and I'm all not about boiling the ocean. So Mm -hmm. I think and I've done it myself because there's never the budget. There's never the resource. There's never the time. There's never the prioritization of employee voice and listening to employees from the ground up. So I have tended to just do my own thing. And what I find is that employees don't expect organizations to turn around and do everything that they've said they should do or, you know, create actions from what they've been told, from the feedback they've received. What I found in most instances is that employees are happy just to be heard. Absolutely. I'm
1: with you on the guerrilla tactics myself. I just do it. You know, you're doing it already because you're having conversations with people. Exactly, And you start to collect that and you start to share it back. I mean, we do it as you know, in the line of work that we do. We're constantly talking to different types exactly. of different people of all sorts of levels. And, you know, in casual conversation, a very short, very easy way to do feedback is just in casual mm. conversation when you're facing off to your decision makers. And I say decision makers, not senior leaders, because sometimes a decision maker doesn't necessarily sit in sweet, sweet for certain things. But if you're speaking to people who are influential or decision makers in a particular process, and you can say, I've spoken to these people, this is the sense that I'm getting. And I always aim to position myself as someone who is of the general people in the organization and try to be as impartial as possible, but also to be an advocate for employees when I'm in the rooms with people who don't necessarily speak often or in depth with employees. So that's, you know, we are internal communicators by very nature are a vessel for a listening vessel, as it were. So I think we really utilize that. And that's where I think the power is. But to your point around what the listening and I guess where employees find the value in listening, it is exactly as you said, it is the sense of being heard and being listened to and I say in my current organisation because I work on a change programme and I've started to do some listening activity with some of the key stakeholders and I said to you know one of the exec directors that I'm working with and I said, you know, we're all used to getting bad news or stuff that we don't like. You know, most of us don't, for example, don't enjoy being taxed on our salary mm. or taxed on our earnings, should I say. But we understand it's the rules or we understand the broader concept and how it kind of fits into the UK economy. So talking specifically about this example. And so we do it. Either we do it because we don't want to bear the consequences mm, <laughs> of HMRC, exactly. or we do it because we truly believe in is a concept. But in any case, the majority of people follow along with the requirements to some degree. So it always puzzles me when, and this is, I guess, a broader point, when senior leaders specifically, or particularly organisations more broadly, assume that people, employees, therefore They do that in their private life across a number of areas where they may not be happy with, but they go and That's right. Exactly. But they come into the workforce and suddenly they become unreasonable. That's (laughs) right. It's astonishing, isn't it?
0: And in almost every single case, I have never come across anyone who's not had the ability to self-censor themselves. You know, it's self-censorship has always been rife Wherever I've worked, whatever level you're Mm -hmm. dealing with, I've never come across anyone who said anything inappropriate or asked a rude question or just been particularly rude or uh, difficult. I mean, you might get the odd, controversial, contentious point that's made every now and again. But I'd say 95 percent of the time, the questions
1: that you get, the feedback you get is relatively helpful Absolutely. And it's how you deliver the message. And, you know, communicators, we are, that is our skill. That is a central skill that we have, It's how you deliver the message. And I say that I don't protect, particularly enjoy spin or enjoy being involved in, you know, attempts to spin, which, you know, I'm sure many of us have been confronted with, called into, witnessed in terms of you know from afar. But I think, you know, people, there's bad news, but people can deal with bad news. But, you know, there's things that need that, the way which is delivered. Is the key, as with anything, it's the way in which the message is delivered. So, you know, if you've got bad news to deliver, i.e., you know, we've taken all these feedback. So, let me double back a bit. I think where employee listening activity probably isn't successful and which can, you know, burn things and create this cycle of wanting to avoid it, is, you know, if you overpromise, if you say, you know, we your feedback super important and we are gonna we are gonna take action on it. Ooh, that's a bold statement. <laughs> and you may be, and if you if you are going to take action on it, then say that. But if you are going to use that to help inform or use what you hear from employees to, to be part of the thinking around, well, that's something different. Mm. And if you're, say, so if you're saying what you mean up front, and that does require some planning, because I know sometimes, you know, I've certainly been involved in things where I'm thinking it feels like you're commsing on your feet, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. Like, OK, so we're going to do this. And nobody's thought of that over there. And none of the leaders who own that thought about this. So I'm going to just put the messaging out and then we'll build as we go. Yeah. So that's where planning comes into it. And actually seeing this as a distinct, you know, listening as a very distinct part of a comms plan, because then you are making sure whatever messaging you have around the listening activity is very clear. So employees know and they might not like it. Of course, they might not but they know yeah. there is awareness and I guess an appreciation and as you said most people are reasonable within work so they're not going to kick off unless it's something that's very contentious mm. or they feel that they have they are in just you know, justified to do so mm. and so I think that's one where listening activity falls down. I think also you know picking the right listening activity for the right occasion. So going back to like that who's listening report they very really line out. And outline four types of listening activity that kind of sit on a matrix of not a matrix, but they sit on a continuum I and mean, you've got one end you've got listening activities that are rational, reactive and business as usual and then the opposite end you've got very you know emotive listening activities that, that are very emotive in their nature proactive and change and so you've got you know passive listening is, is on the rational side and it's all about tracking to record, identifying trends, you know listening to hear and that's your annual engagement survey. Mm. You know, very useful, I guess, approach. Then you've got active listening, which is kind of moving towards the middle now. And that's all to comprehend, to understand perspectives. You know, negotiating, compromising. And that's with the intention to act. Still rational reactive tends to be BAU, but, you know, with the intention of doing something. So that's your poll surveys. your Informal listening forums, your sentiment analysis, suggestion boxes, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Then on the more emotive, proactive and sort of change side of things, you've got sensitive listening. And that's like to encourage exploration and understanding of emotions. It's really good for things like health and well-being and listening to hear. And that's your local listening, your champ or line manager conversations. And then, you know, in periods of considerable change, confidential counselling and your employee assistant programmes that that counselling service tends to be offered through there, etc. And then you've got deep listening. And that's really around, you know, listening for meaning and really drivers to to collaborate and to co-create with employees. So very much on to innovate, but also to resolve conflicts on the other side. And that's listening to act. And that's, you know, your big conversations, your task forces, cross-functional working groups. So you look at that, that matrix, when I read it, I was like, ah, bing. It mm-hmm. very clearly sets out the type of listening that you do. And when it makes sense to do that, depending on what you're trying to get out of employees. And I think without having that clear understanding, you kind of run to a survey because it's quick and easy. But is that Mm. really going to get you the data that you need? Is that really going to allow, you know, even perhaps even more importantly, certainly to meet me and my values, I guess. Is is it going to give employees the right opportunity, a real opportunity to have their voice heard? Or is it just you're just asking them because the quickest thing for you to do, they feel like they're kind of being involved in it, but it doesn't really meet what they're probably looking for and what you're looking for. Hmm. So I think that's where things fall down. And then, you know, once you fall down on something and and then what do you do with the information as well? Are you saying as a comms person in the comms that you put out, we are going to be taking your information, taking it very seriously and engaging with it only when you actually know the senior leadership team aren't really going to do much about it and you'll write a report and it kind of goes into the ether. There's got to be that real buy-in from whoever needs to hear from employees, senior leaders, middle management project teams, whatever it is, there's got to be a really strong desire for them to actually listen and be open to it. And I guess knowing how they like to receive that information up front means that it doesn't get stuck with you then owning it and having to, you know, we are but a listening vessel. We provide the opportunities to facilitate those conversations with different stakeholders. But by no means should we, unless it's for our line of work, so an internal consensus, for example, should we be left feeling like we're left holding that information and being the custodian of it, when in fact we're really just listening or providing opportunities to listen on behalf of another stakeholder within the business. Mm -hmm. But that stakeholder really needs to take that ownership and be ready for it behind the scenes to then take the action that they need and be transparent about what they're doing so that we can close the feedback loop.
0: Yeah. And that's, for me, the trickiest bit of it is getting that accountability, ownership, accountability and responsibility from the stakeholders to take it forward. And, you know, there's this onus placed on internal communications to get the survey up and running, to get the workshop there, to get the focus group created But, you know, what are you going to do with the information afterwards? It's almost the case of, you know, it's done. And then six months later, nothing's come out of it. And that can be very debilitating for internal communicators themselves. So I wanted to go back to something you mentioned previously about being an intermediary, because I found that really interesting. I spoke with Bonnie Kahn when I interviewed her a few weeks back about the notion that internal communicators need to be aligned to all and act as a conduit for information. I wanted to understand how you
1: feel about that personally. I think it's a very good point. I do think we have privileged role depending on where you work and I guess what day it is to be able yeah. to connect with people across the business and to be both privy to I guess information that's ahead of what's been said within the business but then also to hear how employees from across the strata, as it were, all levels to hear from them about how they're feeling, what they're thinking about as well. So yeah. I do think we have a role just because of the work that we do, because our function is to facilitate conversation, facilitate in two-way conversation, engagement, whatever you want to call it, between different stakeholders within an organization. So it's very, by a very definition, we are going to fulfill that intermediary role. And I think, I've, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we are that listening vessel And, yeah, so I think that's an important role to play. However, I would say that one of the biggest challenges, certainly on a personal level and for some of my peers that I've spoken to and worked with over the years, is that the big challenge is that we are both internal comms slash listening vessel if we keep that analogy, and employee. And it's a sort of dual identity that, that should sit comfortably together, but I think on occasion it doesn't because of the information that we tend to be privy to. And so internally I've you know worked in organizations where I've had battle between being asked to do a, to put out a message or to work on a campaign or to you know work on a project and as in my employee sort of hat is is kind of screaming, No, this is not gonna work or no, this is a really mm. bad idea and it's how do you kind of battle with that and I know there's you know there's an ethical point and there's an ethical line that we all have as individually and I guess collectively as you know positive citizens know there is some of yeah. the association CIPR have done some work on ethics and that so you know that's probably the more extreme end of the battle between employees yeah. and internal comms professional within an organization but yeah I do think that that's a challenge and I have seen where you know senior members of internal comms teams that I've worked in have had to have been stifled and had their mm. knuckles wrapped because they've in their own personal accounts within like internal social networks at work, for example, have said things that are true to them that are innocuous, that are the right things I guess to do, right in terms of morally right, and have had their fingers wrapped because as a senior leader within the communication or senior leader within the organisation, it was deemed inappropriate for the, that for individuals to engage in that way. They should must always wear the hat of head of internal comms or director of internal comms or internal comms manager. And that means they cannot publicly have a say on issues. But it's not a new issue. You know, BBC have taken a similar line with their journalists with regard to Black Lives Matter. So Mm -hmm. I guess it's a thing that happens within the communications, entertainment, information, sort of knowledge sharing space. But yes, Yes. it's a real issue.
0: Yeah, being privy to data and information is definitely a privileged position to be in. And it's difficult line to walk. It's a balance that you have to create every day, you know, between being authentic, an authentic employee, an authentic human being, should we say, Mm. as well as being a professional internal communicator. And finally, one thing I wanted to go back to, we started the conversation around, you know, the fact that employee voice is still a persistent point that has been around for many years and was actually mentioned Mm -hmm. in the Engaged for Success report from 2008. So we're now in 2020 um, and employee voice is more important than ever. Where do you think we are today and where do you think employee voice is going? Because surely we've nailed this now, haven't we?
1: I would say no. (laughs) Um, No in the most part. I would say that because I think we have a ray of technology available at our fingertips, especially now with people, many people still working remotely as a result of the current pandemic. The technology has become available if it wasn't there before. But I think there is still something around the impetus and drive to do that, to do the listening, to to talk to employees, to give them the space to speak in their own words, to take what they're saying and really, really examine it and use it as reflection or as a mirror. To kind of think about ways that you can make things better for, for everybody working within the business, ways that you can push the business, you know, push your business, your organization forward and create a psychological safety for colleagues so that they can feel that they can be themselves, you know, as much as they want to, that fear of you know repercussions. So I think there is still a bit to go without that impetus and that authentic, real impetus and not continuous impetus, drive to galvanize employees by giving them the space to, to speak up and speak out and share ideas I think it's patchy in parts and I say that with data <laughs> so <laughs> Behind of center, it, yeah of course so the center for people work and organizational practice did a joint piece of research with Nottingham Trent University last year they looked at um, yeah, thousands of employees in in all sectors to explore employee voice. And, you know, some highlights, for say highlights, but some interesting things to give us a sort of status check as to where we are is, you know, 25% of employees feel, only 25% of employees feel able to freely express themselves at work. And 25% of employees have chosen to stay quiet, even though they have something to say. That's a big issue. And when you look at what the issues that that these employees who were participated had to talk about some big issues, had to talk about, you know, yeah. work pressure, organisation significant organisational change redundancies these are all things that in a normal year if we call it if there's ever a normal year yeah were exactly. issues but in a, in during the covid time we know redundancies we've seen you know some of the stats that are coming out in the media at the moment hmm. work pressures significant organisational change these are things that have been you know will define 2020 as a year and the years to come so if employees are feeling that they don't have the ability to express themselves on these issues and, and other issues That's a big problem. And so I'd say, you know, what I'd like to see for the future, if I may be so bold and so idealistic. Please please be bold. (laughs) I would like to see uh, real times, occasions marked out in calendars on a regular basis, where senior leadership or leadership of all levels actually are tapping in to the voice of their employees. So they are making creating space at regular intervals throughout the year, more frequently than the annual or biannual employee survey and in different ways to the survey where they are not only listening to employees and creating space for them to have their say you know you've got the whistleblowing practices which is obviously a legal requirement and mm-hmm. you know the, the surveys but trusting employees i guess to care about the organization because a lot of people do care about where they work and what they do and it's not just people that are working in caring traditionally caring settings either You know, you can look across all industries and all sectors and find people who really care about what they do, make use of that, collaborate with employees. So, you know, I spoke about the four different types of listening. I want to see us more as a society, more on the deep side of listening, that co-creation You know, really valuing the people that you've hired into the business, that they are experts in their field and really tapping into that, not for launching strategies or values or vision and ambitions for the organization without proper consultation of employees, without asking them and and engaging with them and listening to them about their ideas about where they think the business can go. I'd like to hear more stories, certainly from, you know, my peers in the industry. I'd love to hear more stories and so I can learn and practice in my own, you know, in the work that I do. I'd love to hear more stories about how people are Closing that feedback loop in uh, interesting ways. So you know, not just taking from employees, taking ideas, taking feedback, taking constructive criticisms and comments, but actually how are they playing that back and how are they implementing that? Not the the internal communicators, but how are the businesses implementing that so that people can have a stake and an ownership in the places that they work and feel that their expertise that they've you know that many of us have invested you know years in whether it's academic study or work experience or a mixture of two, I want to see employees valued again. And I think real listening exercises, whether they're grand programs or conversations or something, you know, or just conversations at water coolers that lead to sparks of ideas that lead to, contributions towards the changes that a lot of businesses are having to make especially in 2020 I would love to hear more stories of that and you know maybe it's for me to tap into those and I'm fascinated by it and I'm You know, this conversation and my own research and reading other people's research is I'm kind of, you know, wanting to lean more into employee voice. So I'm going to do the work to make sure that I kind of track how different people are doing it. But um, that's definitely what I would like to see is more true engagement with employees, not just lip service. And and part of that is listening to your employees and taking it on and seeing how you can take it on and then letting them know if, you know, whether you could take it on or not. And um, the outcome, I guess, of their feedback. But yeah, more listening.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. That's really, really amazing. And I love that. I love your approach. I love your passion. It's clear to me. I'm also very passionate about the whole subject of internal communications and engagement, hence the reason why I've gone out of my way to do this podcast. But thank you so much, Anik. You've been an intelligent, you've been a thoughtful, you've been an insightful guest and I um, oh, just just want to say thank you so much for that it's been
1: brilliant thank you so much for the opportunity for getting me on here Kate. Okay, it's been great to speak with you and i really enjoy the podcast as well so i'm like a fan amazing <laughs> a, amazing so i can't wait to hear what the rest of the season. i'm a fan of you season. now too <laughs> uh, thank you so much i can't i can't wait to see what the rest of the season brings because if it's anything like season one i am going to be learning lots. <laughs>
0: thank you so much